Hi, this is Helen. And this is Jessie. And you're listening to Asian Beaches Down Under, and we're back from a very long break, almost a month, um, because Jess has been overseas and I've been left alone by my all by myself for two weeks. The solo free. Yeah. Which is Helen amazing. was <laughs> spending a lot of time with just her dogs here yeah, in Sydney while the rest of the family were overseas. Overseas or interstate, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, was... it was fantastic. So I was in Taiwan and Japan mm-hmm. for just a little over three weeks and had a great time, especially in Taiwan because in Zhanghua, which is where Helen and I were born and grew up, um, because it felt like going back into my childhood, the best years of my childhood, for me anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, we saw a couple of relatives. We, uh, Helen and I are part of a huge family. On my mother's side, we have six uncles and uncles. Uh, and on my dad's side, we have three. So three like aunties and uncles. Uh, and they have numerous children each. And so it was fantastic. Uh, I really thought this time that I should make Taiwan permanently part of my life in a way that I had sort of forgotten about in the last few years. Mm-hmm. So it was really, really powerful. This this trip meant a lot to me mm-hmm. and it made me really want to change something systematic in my life. Oh, that's interesting. Um, just the other day, I don't know if you saw the link that I sent you, NPR mm. has done like a small mini interviews with Chinese Americans who were second generation of immigrants to US, but they mm-hmm. have they have moved back yep. to Taiwan in the past few years or just during either pre-COVID or you know during COVID because they saw that mm-hmm. um, now they have children and they started to think that the US is not as ideal living places for the for their own little families and mm. they have moved back. So I think they're about the, the interviewees were similar age to us and mm-hmm. they have young children. Right. They started to think that oh um since Trump has been elected and now Biden of course, but um in twenty sixteen so much has changed in the US and they wanted something more stable. Mm-hmm. But um with the current situation or the perpetual situation with China, I don't really think Taiwan is as stable, but domestically they they don't feel like from from an outsider perspective, it's Taiwan is not as dangerous <laughs> as America, I think. Mm-hmm. They have a, a more rigid gun laws and yeah. I guess uh, some of them. The food is better. <laughs> no doubt about it yeah and education wise people are saying that it's cheaper to raise kids in taiwan right yeah and interesting or i guess i don't know about about the racial dynamics i guess they are stylish they feel like they're they're among you know the rest of the yeah they're, 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 they're with like, their clan exactly <laughs> well i certainly felt that in taiwan yeah. um I think because I was with my family, I wasn't more, I wasn't very aware of other people. But in Japan, I certainly felt like because it was my first time in Japan, mm-hmm. it was my first time in a foreign Asian country by myself. I was okay. there by myself. Yeah. I was very, very aware of being amongst people who looked like me and it felt very comforting. And mm-hmm. I also, I also felt like um, I always bitch about, you know, we always talk about how. Uh, isolating it can feel to be Asian growing up in Australia and then when I was in Japan I was just thinking to myself just move to Japan or just move to an Asian country but mm-hmm. but it's obviously not that simple for us because I know that um, if I ever moved to an Asian country I would stick out because internally I'm a left-wing right person you know inside my heart I'm a white left I'm a white inner west <laughs> hipster you know like my values I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm extremely yeah. feminist, yeah. you know, and, and I think that would not find its place to thrive in an Asian country. I think in Asia, feminism is not no way as advanced as it is here in the West. And so I would really, really bulk at that and struggle. Um, and, and, you know, going back to your NPR story about 
the interviews with Taiwanese Americans. It reminds me of a couple of Taiwanese Americans I met in 2019 when I went over to Taiwan. I was in Taipei for a couple of weeks doing some freelance work. And I met and spoke to a couple of these people you speak of. Yeah. and But they were different from you and I. And so what I mean is a lot of these people who I spoke to, they were in their, I said, late 20s, early 30s. Mm -hmm. And they uh, actually went over to America in their late teens. And so they often went to California. I spoke to a couple of women from who went, went to California. California is a huge Asian population. Yeah. Uh, uh, around San, uh, around LA and San Francisco area. So these women often they went to America to study. Yeah, and then after they okay. yeah, and yeah. then so and then after they studied a couple of years, they remained in the US, but they eventually went back to Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And I asked them, I, I asked them the reason for their immigration back to their homeland, and they said it was because they felt like Taiwan was still they were more they were more in sync with the way in which Taiwan as a country ran. So mm -hmm. what I mean is like they, they said the environment. So they were like, oh, so they said the environment of Taiwan, it suited them better. And they were, and they felt more at home in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was very interesting. It definitely made me think about my own uh, migration and my own life uh, in Australia. And it kind of made me sad that I couldn't do that because I because I left when I was four and a half, and I basically grew up as a white Australian. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I I don't think, even though I, I every time I go back to Taiwan, I, there's always a part of me that feels heartbreak, like because I feel like I want to belong to this country that I was born in, um, and I feel so much nostalgia and so much pain, like yearning for it, yearning for a life that I don't know if I could have had, right? Mm -hmm. Um. But but at the end of the day, I I still feel like I I know I know deep down that I could only truly be comfortable. I'd say comfort is the main thing for me now as someone in my thirties. I prioritize comfort over everything else. I think I'd be more comfortable still here in Australia. Mm -hmm. I think Taiwan. What I'd love to do is uh, go maybe every year, but only for maybe like a month tops. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you haven't traveled enough around Taiwan to find your place. And you were speaking about the progressiveness of feminism in the Asian countries. I think Taiwan compared to most Asian countries is, I would proudly say that it's probably one of the most progressiveness. Oh, ones. definitely. I, yeah. I don't, uh, I don't disagree you know, with Taiwan you at all. Has oh. the um, equal uh, no, sorry, I was going to same say sex. same sex marriage, you know, it was passed a couple of years ago. And even so that we've seen so many Me Too stories are coming out, it is both positive and negative. On the one side, positive because women are, they dare to come out and talk about it now instead of, you know, decades ago, um, you'll be shamed of talking about, you know, your sexual harassment or your sexual assault stories. And I think Taiwan is such a diverse country um, in the sense that last April that I visited with my with my daughter and I recognized that there's so many places that are so different. I will probably still not be able to live in the city area, but I love the East Coast, you know, right. Lan and Hualien. Maybe those are the places that you can try to visit next time when you're there. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, they're just fantastic little towns around the coast and hot springs and still very mm. convenient. You still get your eateries and convenience stores everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I I think like every country, there are different pockets with different politics. Mm -hmm. Taipei is definitely probably the most, no doubt, the most cosmopolitan and the most worldly. Mm. It's basically a big city. Yes. Uh, I I don't think I would like to live in Taipei just because I don't have any close family or friends who live in Taipei. If I went back, I would definitely just try and stay in Zhanghua, which is where we grew up. And Zhanghua is not small. Like I, well, this time I went back and hung out with a cousin for a few days. Uh, we drove around for three days and we still didn't see all of it. It's not a small city. It's not like I often compare it to Newcastle or Wollongong, but it's nothing like that. It's nothing like these sleepy little Australian seaside 
yeah, towns, you know. Yeah, Samoa is really big and that, very crowded. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's very dense. Like, in my adult life, I started to read, you know, more Chinese literature mm. and finding out the names of the little towns around Zhanghua. And I was like, oh, I never heard of these places when we were mm -hmm. little. And um, our dad used to drive around the van to deliver it because he was the importer for food from the US. Mm -hmm. And and he used to drive around deliver those uh, milk powders. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> milk powders and chocolate, you know, those luxury items from the West and Japan. Mm -hmm. And he used to tell us about the places that he, the mileage that he was driving. Right. Because you always think that Taiwan is such a small island. Yeah, it's smaller than Tassie. Yeah, it's half size of a Tassie. And you compare to um, Australia, then you don't think that it's that small because whenever that there's uh, Taiwanese coming to Australia, they say that, oh, why do we have to drive everywhere it's so far to get to one place to another place mm -hmm. uh, compared to Taiwan? They all make this all sorts of com comparisons. Mm. But then um, in reality, Taiwan is pretty much it's big as well you know there's so many places to go and i think a, a month is not enough to see the whole taiwan if you want to take it slow actually mm -hmm. uh when the uh, transportation to the east coast is not exactly that easy because oh you know, yeah yeah across the north so yeah, okay, yeah. Or you have to go down south through yeah there's often not you direct the mountain range in the exactly, middle exactly in the yeah. middle yeah 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 <laughs> so um yeah, I, I think uh, Taiwan is becoming, if there's no threats from China, it's such a important player of democracy and such a great place for, I think everyone should go and visit. Now, Taiwan should become like the next, I don't know, Hong Kong or Singapore, like a very major hub. Mm. Well, yeah. a lot of people I meet casually have actually been to Taiwan. Mm. So it's not completely unusual for people who to have visited, which always um, used to startle me. But now I'm just like, yeah, well, it's a great country. Uh, what did you think about the latest elections? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so intense. So ridiculous. Helen was very nervous. <laughs> I, was, well, I, was, I, I was in Taiwan um, on the day of the election. I left on the night of the election. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of nervous in the sense that I know that it is important to still remain, you know, uh, democratic for Taiwan. And you just hear so much, so many stories just before the election and you see the campaign, how passionate Taiwanese people, the voters mm, are mm -hmm, in those mm -hmm. wild rallies and campaign. And we do have relatives who are involved in those campaigns. Yeah. Uh, they walk through streets in, in the markets from dawn to dusk, and you see the campaigns was just so passionately brought out onto the street. It just it's just very very different to Australia. The, the campaigns that we have in Australia, I don't even really see any candidates holding campaigns in Australia. You just go and mm. on a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You maybe see one or, or there's an ad. There's an yeah, ad on TV. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, but as in Taiwan, like most people are really involved in the politics because, you know, everyone fought hard and long for democracy in Taiwan. And they just, um, what were they doing? They had concerts as well. They had concerts. Mm. They invite uh, public figures. They invited celebrities, singers. They even had dancers. And the night before, I don't know if you saw the news because the night mm. before, the election, all three parties had their own huge rallies in um, Taiwan. So mm -hmm. apparently 10 days before the election, um, they can't do any public announcement or go to TV or make a, or have any advertising to try to attract voters. So right. final uh, rallies concert the, at the night before the election was actually the major event for all the parties to, to mm. show how much power how much manpower they have or how much mm -hmm. support they have to influence you know the rest of the country because it, it happens in taipei so a lot of people that have traveled maybe from south up to taipei to attend the campaign and mm. it seems like a massive concert like three concerts at the same time 
um, some uh, well, obviously, or most of my friends support DPP, uh, the Green Democratic Party, and that's led by Tsai Ing-wen, the current president. Was, yeah, that was led by Tsai Ing-wen the last three years, and thankfully they won this time. But unfortunately, it is currently a six. I think it's the Hun Parliament at the moment for mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Uh, positions. So we'll see what happens, but hopefully they will st- still maintain a strong stance of, uh, you know, um, not be threatened by China. Yeah. Mm. I think that's, that's the, you know, the, that's the international uh, most, most important issue for mo- other countries to, um, to, to be aware of that Taiwan is not threatened by China. Because we don't want to see another war happening, you know, after Ukraine, yeah. what's happening in Gaza. You def- we don't definitely don't want to see anything that's um, not peaceful happen around the Asian region. Yeah. Eric Bradshaw, who is an Asian correspondent for The Herald, uh, he was in Taipei, I believe, mm-hmm. for the elections, and he took a picture that he posted on Twitter slash X, and it showed uh, the media tent. Mm-hmm. And it showed the media tent uh, filled with tables, like uh, the way that examination tables are laid out at, in a high school exam, kind of like HSC style. And okay. each table had like uh, a journalist with their laptop, you know, writing about what uh-huh. was happening. And he said, accompanied this picture with a, a caption saying, no other election outside of US has attracted such media attention. Oh, that's amazing. And so I thought that was very interesting. What do you think about that? Why do you think the international community have become so interested and um, invested in reporting on what was going to happen in Taiwan and its election? All right. So like I said just a bit earlier, I think Taiwan is the most progressive country amongst all the Asian countries. And even with um, the election culture in Taiwan, it's just so different to other places. You don't see such a democratic election, and obviously they have to work hard. And I like the I like the idea how so many uh, international journalists have traveled to Taiwan to report on this because we need to hear. Uh, different views from all the different countries. And I think Taiwan needs, uh, it, it means it's transparent. It's transparent. Taiwan allowed, allows, you know, all the international foreign journalists to travel to Taiwan to report. So it opens up to um, the international platform. So that's the first point. And mm-hmm. the second point is that, uh, like I said, it's just the culture is just so different to any other uh, countries having election, everyone's so passionate. We uh, Taiwanese parties also even have the like the merchandise. You know, I could, you got the jacket for me. I got the keychain. Helen was obsessed <laughs> was with obsessed. getting the DPP Team Taiwan jacket. Yeah. I wanted to get obsessed. the jacket so much, and because I I love it how they have it's such a good design. It's a baseball jacket, and it's like got Team Taiwan on the back. You know, with a cat and, and a dog. 2024 for DPP and also the um, an increment of most valuable player of democracy because Taiwan is essentially a very valuable player of democracy in Asian region. And apart from those things, um, it's just, it's like having a fiesta. It's like having a fiesta in when you're having the election and been like that the, t- the past 20 years since um, the general public uh, have the right to vote in Taiwan. And I, I feel like uh, I- I- this year, particularly this year, I think I've seen a lot of friends who lived overseas for, you know, maybe decades and they still have time residency rights. They returned to Taiwan and they know that how important it is to, mm-hmm. you know, vote in this election. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that it is it's just amazing that we continue this tradition um to have everyone participate in the election and participate to really understand how is a what's the progression of what the next government will be doing. Yeah, it's such it it, it is a volatile and it always it has volatile. been a volatile yeah, yeah, situation yeah. between Taiwan and China. 
Now, following up on that question that I had, mm-hmm. I guess I wanted to ask you about another tweet that I saw, which I sent you, I believe, on the same day, and it was in regards to uh, uh, a journalist, a, a French journalist who uh, is based in Taiwan, mm-hmm. who published a statement on Twitter. This was, uh, I believe, on the day of the on the day or after the day of the election mm-hmm. and uh it got a lot of traction on uh on twitter slash x and it was in regards to the treatment of fixes in taiwan and i wanted i actually want to read the entire statement it's only about three paragraphs yeah, yeah go ahead but i want to read the statement and so we can really flesh it out and talk about it because it it refers to the treatment and mistreatment of fixers and interpreters and translators in Taiwan. And I wanted to talk to Helen about it specifically because Helen is an interpreter and a translator. So the statement uh, was published on the 14th of January and it was published by Adrian Zamori, who is, uh, like I said, a French journalist based in Taiwan. And he says uh, the, the piece is a titled statement from a group of stringers and local journalists based in Taiwan. And it reads, in recent years, there has been a growing interest from international media outlets in Taiwan. This positive trend is evident in the increased quality of content produced about Taiwan. However, due to language barriers and the limited number of foreign journalists fluent in Mandarin, much of this coverage heavily depends on local translators and stringers. In the wake of the recent elections in Taiwan, we express deep regret as many dedicated stringers have recounted numerous unfavorable experiences with foreign journalists covering the elections. These experiences include exerting pressure on interviewees to obtain specific questions, abrupt cancellations of interviews at the last minute without any explanation, frequent requests for free services under the guise of helping Taiwan's voice be heard, absence of payment or insistence on charging less with the argument that Asian countries are not that expensive and a lack of communication regarding the angle of the articles, among other issues. Um, And the rest of the statement goes on to talk about the importance of, you know, um, exploring Taiwan and its nuances um, and, and having a more balanced relationship between local fixers and foreign journalists. This really, like, I, I'm like everyone knows, I'm not really on social media. I don't, I'm not super active when it comes to, you know, political uh, coverage and uh, news outlets covering politics and all that. But this uh, statement really made me think about my own role back in 2019 when I was freelancing. I speak fluent Mandarin, although my vocabulary is not extensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but this piece really made me think about what was happening and also made me think what what would be the solution. Uh, thoughts mm-hmm. from you, okay. Helen? When I received that link from you, I actually asked, what is the stringer I'm fixer? Yeah, the, a stringer is not a, as common a term as a fixer. A fixer is basically someone on the ground whose role it is to help the journalist who is trying to get a story up. Uh, uh, basically fix, like fix them up with people so to interview. It's a person who kind of coordinates. Yeah, exactly. Call network, etc. Yeah. yeah, like mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. like an assistant or a secretary, isn't it? Of whatever that project is needed to be. It's like someone whose um, job it is to source what the journalist okay. needs, which yeah, is like personnel to yeah. interview. Yeah. They know that they they're more familiar with yeah the with the local yeah exactly community okay um, first of all I think there must be a lot of culture clash and there must be a lot of miscommunications mm-hmm. um, because we don't know whether or not the fixer is either fluent in 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 the foreign language or knows how it is being how how the processes work for the um foreign journalist or whoever mm-hmm. wants to come into whoever wants to go into Taiwan to interview certain um say politicians or public figure um there is a lot of politic foreign and talks on tv in Taiwan it's almost oh like yeah 
24 7 yeah. yeah yeah so i don't think there's a difficulties of getting any political opinions from taiwan but it's just that in this in this in this incident it sounds like there's a issue of the middleman trying to communicate with the foreign journalist or foreign um, media production to get that you know certain stories out into the west so you either need to have someone who is very um, culturally aware within taiwan and also how the foreign media wants to what they require for their project the, i don't know the solution to be honest i think you just need someone really understands both sides and build a bridge and have a really good communicative skills mm. to go between and this french he's a journalist right he did the french journalist um pointed out they either uh, been exploited they're not paid enough or what other issues were there it, uh the nuance of the story was not conveyed explicitly okay. to the interviewees yeah so um like what am i being uh, I'm, I'm asked to comment on for instance you know like mm -hmm. a, a person who's willing to speak out about a subject should have the right to know what the article is about so do you think there's bit, there's parts that has been misinterpreted or yeah and like you said how do we how do we adjudicate or how do we qualify the the middle person how oh. do we know that they're doing the um how do we know that they're yeah. you know well, translating that, exactly what you're saying correctly yeah. yeah i know yeah um because i'm an amateur interpreter i'm not accredited so i, I don't have the right to speak on other people's qualifications of their skills interpretation um but i think because in australia there's NITA, you know the, the mm -hmm. national accreditation yeah. for interpretation yeah. uh, and translation so there's a there, there is a accreditation and authority to judge of how good that your in, interpretation and the translation skill are but in taiwan i assume there is a certain accreditation accreditation of it mm. and many of the interpreters and translators should have at least a background of linguistics or translating degree translation degree yeah so that's that's from my own perspectives what about you what do you think well yeah um, I, I just want to say um at uh, right now that we're helen and i we're not um we're not questioning the ability of the middle person. We're, we're more concerned with the way in which uh, a lot of things are not being successfully translated in between these two different, or a couple of different shades of culture and um, whether there's abuse going on or um, any harm done because people are being taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there definitely could be uh, elements of racism like like the journalist says um often people in uh people in the west perceive s services happening in the east um as much cheaper you know oh, financially uh, you know yeah. so so, so there's ele yeah, different yeah. elements yeah exactly of that like uh i'm it's kind of like the mentality of the anthropologist going into uh uh indigenous community and saying hey i'm gonna ask you questions and take your take what, what I see from my lens and you and kind of demand that the people, the indigenous culture and the people that they're trying to study demand that they uh, participate at all, you know, in, in trying to get information out about their culture. And so mm -hmm. I think this whole issue is actually rooted in a deeper, a more uh, widespread issue of like um, information gathering, um, colonialism just in general mm -hmm. i'm not saying you know um, um, white people have colonized uh taiwan but like just um issues of uh it's, it's just such a huge background of foreign journalists like from the west mm -hmm. going into non-western societies mm -hmm. and demanding that people in the country in which they're trying to extract information from uh, demanding that they participate in information gathering mm -hmm. it's kind of like the way in which 
a translation, literary translation works, you know, like, um, yeah. you want to get the, like the contents of the other language and then own it as your own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like the English being the most globalized, uh, globalized language. And it's interesting. We've talked about this on this pod, the, the kind of, uh, countries in which the languages in which, uh, English readers, mm-hmm. Uh, favor above others so uh, you know the example i often use is uh in 2022 there were over 250 italian books translated into english there were 13 books from turkish translated into english so yeah things like that more people who speaks turkish in the world compared yeah because um in the west we idolize italian culture much more than turkish culture yeah um on the subjects of english language production media i want to kind of um share with our listeners that if you want to know more about taiwan taiwan plus and ghost island media they are two major media productions in taiwan but they produce english language um productions and they're purely produced by Taiwanese, local Taiwanese, or well, most of them have studied overseas. And Emily, uh, who is an acquaintance of mine, who is the founder of Ghost Island Media, she is brilliant of trying to promote, she works so hard, try to promote a lot of Taiwanese content and, you know, produce it in English and bring it out to the world. And I think um not only having you know you have foreign journalists and foreign media companies coming to taiwan but i think um outside of taiwan people should really look into what taiwan taiwanese themselves are doing you know um i think it's more of a first-hand source if you want to really get the actual more down-to-earth sort of content so uh taiwan plus and ghost island media they're all pretty I think they're both very genuine. Like I've seen, I, I've interviewed by Time Plus for our film festival, and the, all their quality, their, their content qualities are brilliant. Yeah. So they publish things both in English and Chinese. They publish. Uh, Ghost Island Media have uh, podcasts in both Chinese, in Chinese Mandarin and English, but mostly I think eighty percent of their productions are in English, and Time Plus is just generally English. Um, you know, I think South Korea has something similar like um kbs does like you know similar to sbs where they have um Mm. programs in you know other languages other than english but time plus is just mainly does it in english and i believe there are a lot of channels that in taiwan that are starting to produce programs in vietnamese indonesians because taiwan has a lot of um, yes foreigners working in taiwan now so filipinos yeah filipinos um I'm pretty sure that it's becoming a lot more diverse than we remember 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, um, just, just before we leave the subject of the Taiwan elections, I wanted to finally ask you, Helen, about the DPP campaign ad where we have <laughs> where we saw um, the incumbent president, who is currently the vice president, um, William Lai Tai. Lai Tingde. Lai Tingde, yeah, um, in the car, in the passenger seat while Tsai Ing-wen is driving um great ad i loved it but i also noticed that they spoke half in taiwanese hokkien taiyi and half in zongwen um where what do you think about that when in like in part of our conversation earlier about languages mm-hmm. um how much how many people in taiwan speak taiwanese hokkien because i so I, I wouldn't know yeah, it's an identity it is isn't it and yeah. i saw a lot of people switch between it when I was in Taiwan, and I kind of really loved that. Um, yeah. And I wanted to ask you, is it true that um, Taiwanese Hokkien is only spoken by older generations of Taiwanese people? Is that true? Uh, I wouldn't say it's true anymore because I try to speak Taiwanese when I'm in Taiwan, whenever, like, whenever who, whoever speaks Taiwanese to me. You like, say it back. Yeah. I accommodate, you know, yeah. with in Taiwanese because, and I try to, even if I know that I'm not fluent in Taiwanese. And... I think it's a it's an identity and a lot of young people they we have Chinese um sorry not we but Chinese primary schools have Chinese language classes in mm-hmm. at school 
Mm-hmm. And some of the regional primary schools even have indigenous languages. Right, great. So um, it's an identity, and I think a lot of time more Chinese are now trying to embrace that identity and even started to learn Chinese. I mean, um, my kids picked up Chinese easily because I swear <laughs> in Taiwanese. Yeah, yeah, just a couple Very of words. Chinese. Yeah, um, it just makes it, it's nicer. I think it's better if you put out you have more emotional attachment to the curse. Mm-hmm, yeah, because mm-hmm. it's wearing. Um, I think um, yeah, that ad was done brilliantly. Even though it was like CG generated, they had they did it in like a um, a filming studio where they have the car. Yeah. Well, I came, yeah, I came across it because uh, I was watching TV in my hotel room in Taipei, and mm-hmm. there was a segment on the news that they played for about two days straight about yeah. the behind the scenes. So yeah. they, uh, so they had the um, they interviewed the director of the campaign video, uh, and it was really lovely and funny. And and then when I finally watched the video, I was like, it, it was really sweet. I really liked it. Yeah. It was really uh, beautiful, it, uh, and it made feel- me nostalgic. A lot of people feel so emotionally attached to it because mm. it was down. It was done so well. So the, for those who hasn't seen the video, it was like a three-minute short clip of them driving in the car and ta- winding through Taiwan's beautiful East coast. Yeah, East, yeah. This uh, shot of you know beautiful coast of Taiwan, and their their dialogue was just based um, saying that oh. I'm I'm driving now. How how they, I think they were talking about um in a metaphoric way of yeah of driving the country yeah forward um, leading yeah. the country as yeah. in you know driving and William Lai was saying that um how was what what do you think of me in the past eight years and I think Taiwan was saying that oh I think you were some um doing some of inquiries you were quite. Harsh or fierce, you're very fierce. Forward. yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Very forward, you're very straightforward. And William Lai was saying that, oh, I have to be like that because I want yeah. to protect our country. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. That was very, that was really lovely. Yeah, and then at the end of <laughs> at the end of the ad, Taiwan gets off the car. Like, yeah, she's like, fine that she's leaving because there's only two turns of presidency in Taiwan, yeah. and you have uh. Xiao Meiqin, which is the was was the candidate for vice president. She's actually half for and for those who doesn't know, she's half yeah. she's half white and half Chinese. Um, to get on the car to start driving away for their own, I don't know, for their mm, own future. adventure. I, I, I thought that was done really nice. The, the script was it wrote beautifully. Yeah. And um, I think a, a day after that ad went out, there was a campaign on Facebook yeah. <laughs> that can we go go back to East Coast and p- can we like have a rally and go and pick up Taiwan from the East Coast? Yeah, yeah, because I just dumped her there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really sweet. That was really funny. Yeah. Um. So should we take a break? Yep, and when we come back, we'll talk about our cultural consumption over the summer. Hi there. If you're new to our show, thanks for tuning in into our program, and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, we're forever grateful for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. It has really helped this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to center the perspectives of people who look like us, who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google or Spotify and leave a rating and review. And of course, as a small podcast program, we rely on listeners' support to continue this work. Please do check out our Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation in order for us to continue to advocate the intersectionality in the podcast industry. Okay, so we're back. Um, Over this 
Christmas New Year's break.、Um, well, actually, our Christmas was very quiet. It's one of、yeah. the best Christmas I have ever had because I didn't have to prepare、yeah. anything. It was、yeah. only like,、uh, four adults and a little baby with our. Yeah, it was.、Uh, it was really delightful. Yeah, and we order catering, and we just wait for the food to come. <laughs> we just eat, and then we open the presents. Well, mainly Mona, our little yeah, niece, opened the presents,、yeah. took the video, took videos of her toddling around your apartment.、Oh, it was great. It was great. Yeah, it was nice, quiet, peaceful. Yeah, yeah. not a lot of left. Well, we had did have a bit of leftovers, but not like.、Mm. You know the past years where we had leftovers, leftovers where we had to eat for weeks. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, and afterwards, Je- I stay over at Jessie's place、um, mm-hmm. for the Christmas day, and we watched Naya on Christmas. Nayad, yep. Yeah, Nayad.、Um, so it's why don't you tell us?、Uh, oh yeah,、that? so it's a film who directed by the married couple who directed Free Solo. And so they. This is their first. Yeah, this is their first non-documentary feature film, and obviously it stars Annette Bening as Diane Nyad,、uh, the woman who swam without a shark net from、uh, Cuba to Florida. Cuba to Miami. Yeah, yeah, to Florida, and、uh, and her training partner and best friend Jodie Foster.、Um, uh, loved it. The name of the character. Yeah. But it doesn't matter <laughs> because what matters is that the story has been told, and it was completely inspiring, and it was harrowing and very emotional. I was very emotional watching it. I thought this is the kind of cinema that I want. I want more stories like this where we tell, you know, we tell the we tell people about the feats of incredible women. You know,、mm-hmm. this is what needs to be told. These stories,、yeah. not freaking Ferrari or Napoleon <laughs> or Oppenheimer or Leonard. Leonard Bernstein is a bit of a anomaly because I feel like a lot of people, like a lot, a lot of lay people, don't actually know a lot about Bernstein. I studied music for most of my life, so he is like a very yeah, figure. Most people knows, but Bernard, yeah, yeah. But but、uh, you know, like you know, other biopics. I'm like, I roll. I know, but yeah, just like stories like Nyad、uh, deserve and need to be told, and I was very happy, and I was really, I was, I loved the way it was told. I thought it was really compelling. Perfect、uh, cast, I think it's. It was extremely amazing. I just, I just love Jodie Foster. I mean, who, who can't, who just, who would deny the fact that she is an absolute champion? It's funny how、uh, at the end of our last episode of our、uh, of last year we were saying how many male biopics was were out, and、mm. then we you know picked up Naya at the end of last year, and I just felt like, oh my god, such a brilliant movie, and the cast was just they were just perfect. I think they found they found Annette Bening.、Um, mm-hmm. She actually、uh, trained for a year for this role. Yeah, it was incredible. Shen, incredible. Yeah, and after she didn't. They didn't use a double.、Mm, she wanted yeah, to do all the scenes herself. She's like what sixty four. She's oh yeah, she's sixty four,、yeah. and she's playing a sixty year old. Yeah, I'm I'm in my forties, and I can't imagine swimming out in the open water for a second. Yeah, neither. <laughs> yeah, neither. I get seasick after I swim out in the open ocean for like. Thirty seconds because it's the waves. The waves make me nauseous. I know, and also the the fear of unknown of oh, everywhere. Incredible! How incredible. can you, um, you know how how I, I don't know how her mentality was to get over that kind of fear of not knowing anything that's around you.、Mm. And throughout the film, there's definitely you know there were jellyfish and there was like oh the jellyfish was a huge thing. Yeah, so scary. And she was defeated, you know, a couple of times before. She- yeah, many times. Yeah, I found that the most inspiring part of the film, the fact that she just said, "I'm never giving up." Yeah, was- that makes me really emotional. Yeah. yeah, and also her team, her her team,、oh. the navigators,、oh, incredible, the incredible, the doctors around her,、mm-hmm. everyone is、mm-hmm. so supportive of her, even though that is such a crazy, you know,、um, endeavor. Yeah, to to swim that far across. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I think the day after that I came back home and I took my dogs to the beach on the box on the boxing day. Yeah, on the boxing day I went to the beach. I let mm-hmm. them run around and I strapped them somewhere, you know, in the shady area and I went for a swim. Nice, I, I love this. Swim at the beach because I'm scared of swimming at the beach. So I swim at the yeah. the ocean pool. Uh-huh. I couldn't I couldn't last for more than ten minutes. <laughs> continuously it was yeah. high tide that morning as well so you have the waves coming in and i was just thinking how the fuck did that woman you know yeah do it honestly mm. for continuously for over what 48 hours i think she swam for like i don't remember what it was but it was like 50 60 70 hours yeah yeah wasn't it i think so maybe yeah. i don't know i don't remember yeah but it i was think crazy. um the the second crazy. Was it the second hour um, on her final swim where she uh, finally reached uh, Key West of Florida? Mm-hmm. Uh, they were saying that, oh, we can see the horizon. <laughs> yeah, <close>. yeah. <laughs> and then it looked like it was like a yeah, two-hour swim and there's like another 12 hours. <laughs> we're like, what? That's not close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Incredible. I find, yeah, I want, I want more stories like that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I want to see more stories of these, um, especially women in their not not in their twenties. I want to see women. Yeah, in older, older women. Yeah, your seventies. Their stories of um, challenging themselves. Um, try to. I think that she. Uh, I don't know how or why she does it, but I feel like there's a sense of trying to prove that she can do it yeah yeah and didn't give up yeah 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 also she um not that this i mean i'm not pathologizing her but uh, there was a they did explore very very slightly they didn't lean on it but the fact that she had been sexually abused by her coach so she was a champion swimmer when she was uh, uh, a teenager yeah and it made me think about because you know we all know we all wonder what drives these people right they're superhuman mm. and it reminded me of a couple of years ago i went on i think two dates with this guy who was a personal trainer and he told me that um a lot of people at his gym uh are actually women who lift weights very seriously and he said to me a lot of the women who he trains who are really buff and like extremely dedicated to their getting buffer were people were women who actually had experienced sexual abuse or have been uh, abused mm-hmm. when they were kids because he said it's like they needed to prove that they were not going to be harmed anymore it's like a defense mechanism yeah yeah you know you, like i can I, i'm going to be strong enough so that no i'm not harmed again in yeah. my body so physically they don't want to be vulnerable yeah exactly right yeah yeah i think having this kind of challenge is also trying to change i don't know if you like i want i don't want to speak for diana naya but i feel like there's a sense of trying to shift the mentality that um psychologically that you're not vulnerable exactly yeah Mm. you have to that you have got over that barrier i i guess no one ever gets gets over but i guess it's like no yeah maybe it's a healing process yeah. yeah, and the director, uh, Elizabeth Chai Vassarelli, who is married to Jimmy Chin, the couple who directed this movie, that she said at the DGA podcast, so DGA is the Directors Guild of America, and every month they screen new movies and then they have a conversation between two directors, um, one like, a, a, like a, a famous director interviewing the director of the movie that is being screened. And Elizabeth said in her interview, after her, this movie was screened in LA, she said that she wanted to make a movie about an older woman because we don't, we never see older women yes. in Hollywood. You know, we never see them accomplish anything. We always, you know, Hollywood paints them as the insignificant mother or wife figure mm-hmm. in the back of a in the back of a story. And so this was this was this was really for me like uh, movies like this is are what I live for because they're so important to the future of the world and to the future of generations of women who need to know that they can do anything mm-hmm. and that they can be the 
the main character in their lives and that just because you've reached 60 doesn't mean you're no longer important. Mm-hmm. I just, I love that Diane Nyad was like, um, I'm not going to let the world tell me I'm no longer important because I've turned 60. That is so important mm-hmm. for every woman to hear. Because in the past, people were assuming that she's just so self-centered that she doesn't care about other people. She just want to do what she wants. But we really need to reframe that kind of idea that women are not useless or invisible after yeah. a certain age. Because you know, in the past, historically, that if women's past her reproductive fertility, yeah. Women are seen as invisible for the society. Mm. Yeah, more movies like Naya needs to be made, um, not only to present their stories into the onto the world, but also to inspire the women, the young girls, that they know that you know there's unlimited possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think I've seen a movie in such a long time Same. like Nyad. That that actually inspired me in the way that this one did, mm. and and part of what I loved about this movie, not just Diane Nyad's singular achievement, but also what I loved about her, the story was the friendship between her and her best friend, played by Jodie Foster. That was really really something to observe, and also uh, the uh, the director Elizabeth. Bond. I, I think the bond between them. Yeah, you cannot get. And exactly. Yeah, she they she were intimately involved uh, when they were younger, but now yeah. they're, they're not. You know, they're lesbians. They're friends, and they're friends. And the the story uh, Elizabeth Vassarelli also talks about how she wanted to tell a story about two older women and the strength of their friendship. Yes. And mm-hmm. and that it did it wasn't romantic. Yes. You know, um, and I I just I just I have all the time in the world for that kind of portrayal. Because um, being a woman myself, I know that I know the strength of female friendships, and yeah. they're everything. They're 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 what make the world go around for me. Yeah, honestly, I really love seeing how the whole team came together. Everyone mm. saw her, and um, so the friend's name is Bonnie. <laughs> Bonnie, that's it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love seeing how they just had that kind of. They know one. They all everyone knows that they want to do it, but you know, and but Diane eventually was the person who gave the confidence of the whole team because yeah. it is you know essentially it's up to her that she complete the swing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And the team, the navigator, um, was played by this the English, what's his name, the English actor, dude. <laughs> What's his name? Reese. Reese, someone or other. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. And also, they 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 casted um, Asian doctors. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they cast uh, the so the, the there was a stingray or a, a jellyfish expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and in real life, she's a white woman, but in the movie, they cast her as an Asian woman, which I found very interesting. <laughs> yeah. What was the decision behind that? Movie. Such a good movie. I think that's one of the uh, one of my favorite movie of twenty twenty three. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I'll say that. Yeah. Um. Anything else that you've watched? Well, I wanted to just yeah um kind of list the movies I saw while I was overseas. Uh, the first movie I saw was by myself in Tokyo, and I didn't really couldn't like when you go to Tokyo you go to the big cine complexes mm. uh they have screens which you can touch t- you know self buy a um a ticket yourself on the screen okay. and they had English as oh, an option nice. so wow. yeah English is an option is everywhere and but on the ticket it had a couple of lines that were in Japanese and so I don't didn't know what it was so I Basically went to see The Expendables 4 because it was the only one that was showing at the time oh, I was there. Okay. And I don't really want to see that movie, but <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I like didn't know what to do by myself for the rest of the night, so I went to see it. And then it turned out to be a 4D motion Really? Session. What's so a 4D what it, motion? Yeah, oh and so it's like um, it basically were, the seats were like uh, roller coaster seats. <laughs> so it went up and down and to the side and, and I am the full I am, experience. Yeah, and then every time there was an explosion, the whole cinema would um, flash. 
Oh my like, god! Like the whole yeah, and then um, there's smoke coming down. And things like yeah, that. and there was like puffs of <laughs> puffs of wind that like fly onto your face, and mm-hmm. it was really intense. And uh, I'm extremely like uh, I'm I'm not good with those things. I like thro- I've um, when we were <laughs> yeah when we were in Taipei, um, we went to uh, the Aeronautical Space Planetarium Museum, mm-hmm. and one of the rides we went to was like we were in a little capsule, and then the seat would move to the side yeah. and lift up, and it was, that was about a ten minute ride, and then when I came out of that ride. I was fucking nauseous for the rest of the day, honestly. I was like I had vertigo. It was awful. And so, like, three days later, I was found myself in this stupid 4D motion (laughs) cinema in Japan. You didn't know you were a 4D. No, yep, yep. And I was like, oh, my God, I cannot do this for two and a half hours. So, anyway, I ended up um, getting myself off the seat and uh, sitting on the aisles. I sat on the aisles for the rest of the movie because I just could not handle the rest of the movie being tossed around. There were like five other people. It was like an 8.30 session or nine. It was quite late. Okay. Yeah. But but because it ended at like 11.30 and when I'm in a foreign country and I don't really know how to get back to my hotel alone, I didn't actually end up finishing the movie. So I I left. Yeah, I left early. Uh, I left uh, once Jason Statham like had killed the bad guy. (laughs) Um, I've never seen The Expendables, so I didn't know what it was about. But it's basically a, it's just a good book action, like yeah, that. action movies, yeah. Uh, and then I think a following following night, I went to see Godzilla minus one, yes. uh-huh. and uh, they didn't have an English subtitle session while I was there, so I just basically watched it in Japanese. Oh my goodness! And tried to assume what was going on. This also, is not a motion session. This yeah, is it wasn't a motion session, thank God. But it was packed. So it was really packed and it was uh, easy to, you know, it's a Godzilla movie, you know what's going on kind of thing. You, know? <laughs> you don't need to know the language. Yeah, exactly. But it, uh, I thought it was great and um, I I liked, I was astonished by the fact that at the end of the movie, no one, no one like when the credits started rolling, uh-huh. you know how I have a thing where I like to sit through the entire credits? Hmm. Everyone sat through the entire credits. Oh, is it because Not everyone's a- waiting for like an Easter egg? Like you know, some you know sometimes they have like little Easter egg scene popped up. Oh, at the end of the yeah. movie, oh. no, no, okay. no, no. Because um, a couple of days later in Taipei, uh, in Zhanghua, Taizhong, I went to see uh Ferrari with mm. my friend, uh, with my cousin, and same thing. Nobody left mm. until the end of the credits, and I was like, mm. Asian people are so polite, and also, you know, I've never seen this happen in a Western country. Did you ask our cousin why? Like why everyone sits through? Is it just everyone want to listen to the music? Actually, I actually don't know. I don't know if I asked him. I don't think I asked him. I was just like, I was just very impressed. Uh-huh. And you don't feel, and you feel like you'll be rude to leave? Cause well, I don't like to leave. I myself like to sit through the credits. Well, what, what's your reason then? What What's the reason of you sitting through the credits? Oh, okay. I think, um, I, but, but well, I think it started when I started writing this book that I'm writing, which is about female filmmakers. And so I wanted to know everything about what it makes, what what it, what is involved in making a movie. And so I think it started with that for research purposes. I was like, I'd like to read all the different people that make up a film. And there are like hundreds, right? We all know that credits yeah. roll for, for so long. And so I think it started initially with that, but then it, but then I, uh, but then I decided that leaving the cinema without sitting through the credits is almost like leaving a concert at the Opera House without clapping. Mm. That's what it feels like it's akin to. It's not acknowledging the people who have spent the last couple of years of their lives dedicated to this movie. You know, it feels so rude. And so I really like to see, uh, I would like to sit through the credits just to know how many people were involved, and also to read the different job titles because they're always very unusual. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's always a couple of things I'm like, what the hell is a like a blah 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 blah? Like I don't even know. I can't think of one. <laughs> the position that they have for yeah. a of a film, yeah. Well, even like even before I started researching for this book I'm writing, Grip Boy, you know, um, what what the hell is a Grip Boy? <laughs> you know, all these things. There's, there's so many like different 
roles involved. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a. And I, I thought in Asian countries maybe they they have more like a mentality like we need to respect these people who made this movie. Let's sit through the entire credits. Uh huh. Yeah. I think for me, I don't necessarily sit through the whole credit unless I know that maybe sometimes you know several Marvel movies or sci-fi movies they have Easter eggs at the end. Oh, okay. We would sit through it, but um, I've noticed that I'm starting to have a habit of if if I'm sitting through the credits, I will try to find names with agents <laughs> with people oh, with Asian really? names. Oh, really? How many or surnames that looks unusual, not white. Like I want to know oh. if actually the production team is diverse enough, right? Interesting. Or kind of decide how I judge this movie. Really? If there's culturally, if there's cultural um, involvement of that movie, like I want but to know if someone actually um, advise the production properly. If there's culture nuance, right? In that movie, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but but wouldn't it be hard because like black people have the same surname as white true. people? Yeah, so. true. Yeah, yeah. But I, I like to see like I, I am noticing that there there are a lot more Asian surnames coming out from the credits, mm. even you know Vietnamese surname. Well, if you sit through Godzilla minus one, they're all <laughs> yeah, it's all Japanese surname, <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, movies that you want to run down. Uh, let me think about it. I don't think I've watched any movies that is that made an impression throughout the two weeks that I was alone for. I watched one of the Annette because after Naya, I, I want to go back and watch you know uh, movies that's made by Annette Benin. I picked oh, cool. one from SB. American President, my favorite movie. Yeah, I want to see American President, but I, I want- love that movie so much. Oh my god! Somewhere that I couldn't access. Yeah, found one of a movie on SBS demand, which I can't even remember the, the name of the the title of the movie anymore. But it what was, was it about? It was with Bill Nye. And it's based in the coastal town of was it Ireland? No, it was it was set in Britain, but it was it was about an old couple that is at the brink of breaking down. It's about it's about a movie of Sounds marriage. Fucking depressing, man. It's very depressing, but I don't know what Annette Benning always plays that kind of very snappy, forward thinking woman. And yeah, it doesn't give a shit. And in this movie she's actually she was actually playing a very nasty female character oh. Oh. yeah let me have a look let me have a look it's not it's, it's a great movie i think it's a really nice movie but she who directed it can you tell me have a look trying to find i think american president oh, hope gap pardon hope gap so oh, it's, it's hard to say yeah hope gap is 2019 British drama film written and directed by William Nicholson. Hmm, never heard of him. It's adapted from his 1999 play The Retreat from oh. Moscow. So Bill Nye played her husband in the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And obviously Bill Nye is brilliant. He plays like this. Yeah. He's in Helen's favourite movie, Love Actually. <laughs> but he's really different in this movie. Yeah, he's a very introvert, shy character and there's not much unfortunately there's not much on wikipedia about this movie but i think interesting i want to watch something that you you can see you know british isles kind of great coastal scenery this is those things depress me (laughs) (laughs) yeah but their 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 acting skills is is just brilliant yeah 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 hope gap is i think it's still on sbs demand yeah Oh, okay. Fantastic. Great recommendation. Okay, before we wrap up, uh, I want to say a couple of things I'm looking forward to. Mean Girls, obviously, yes. and uh, which we're seeing this weekend, and uh, and Priscilla, Sofia Coppola's latest movie. I'm uh, very. It came out yesterday. Okay. I'm hoping to see it next Tuesday when it's cheap Tuesday with Dendi. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're gonna see can't it. wait, can't wait. Yeah, I love Sofia Coppola's movies. We'll give, you, we'll give our listeners our thought about in girls next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll probably do like a 
report on what my daughter thinks as well. Oh yes, please. Yeah, well, we'll give we'll put a microphone <laughs> under her mouth when we exit the cinema. So, what did you think about the movie? <laughs> the way that they do that for Shen Yen audiences. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they do that. But when I was in Taiwan, and everyone Shenyan, they interview are white. Did you know? Yeah, that? yeah, no. Always white. Like, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I saw that when I was in this like outlet in Taizong with Teddy, our cousin. Um, we went to eat yeah, at the food Shenyan court in Taiwan as well. Oh my we God. went to eat at the food court, and out behind him there was a screen playing ads, and it was just Shenyan ads <laughs> of like the microphone under white person. Coming out of Shenyan, saying oh, that was incredible. <laughs> yeah, they have Shenyan in Taiwan. I've never seen it. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple, and give us a five star rating. If you'd like to support what we do here at Asian Beaches Down Under, head to Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's it from us this week, and we'll chat to you next time. Take care, guys. Bye.